Welcome to my podcast, Cyberglass Ceiling. I'm going to have a light-hearted fireside chat with some people who are leaders in the industry of cybersecurity. Prominent for the fact that they are a women, people of colour, LGBTQ, or just different. The term glass ceiling refers to sometimes invisible barriers to success that many come up against in their careers. A management consultant called Marilyn Loden coined the phrase almost 40 years ago regarding women rising to senior positions and says it's still as relevant as ever today. So I've taken it a little step further, not just women, but people of colour and bias that may exist in the workplace and how they overcame this to become leaders in the industry. I promise not too much swearing, no politics or religion, just a cuppa and whatever takes your fancy. Hello and welcome to my next episode of Cyberglass Ceiling. Today I am stateside. Um, I'm talking to a chap called Warren Small, who's all the way over in California. And let me just tell you a little bit about Warren before we get started. Um, Vice President of Managed Security Services for Dimension Data Group, uh, Vice President of Transformation Group, Security Business Unit, Senior Vice President, Global Head of Sales and Innovation, and New Ventures and Innovations. Warren, welcome to Cyberglass Ceiling. Charles, what an incredible pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to tell my story. Thank you for the opportunity to connect and connect with your audience. Why, thank you. Um, it's great meeting you. I know we've had a, a little conversation um, a little while back, and it's, it's great to have you here, my first stateside interview. So um, before we get started, um, I've reeled off some of your um, titles that you've had uh, with a certain company called NTT, Stroke Dimension Data, or Dimension Data. Um, can you tell me a little bit about who you are, what you do? Thank you so much, Charles. Hopefully you can still hear that I'm South African, not American. <laughs> Hopefully you can still hear that I'm a guy that um, is still got both feet in the ground. I am not only the, the son of of a woman who didn't finish high school, um, just couldn't 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 afford to finish high school, but I'm a, I'm an incredibly lucky husband to an amazing woman who came into my life at a point where I think I needed, I needed clarity why I think I needed a, a clear part. Mm-hmm. I, in an early age, I was, was really keen on studying law and really keen to help my community. And I think that's all true to my DNA and the reason I'm in the role that I'm in now, but helping a different community because I think I'm a, I'm a serial connector, um, but want to connect people with the right people and make sure that we all live a, a full life. I was brought up in a city called Durban. Um, and for many people who know South Africa would know that 99% might get the, the percentage wrong. It might have been 99.5% uh, or 99.9%. People never leave Durban. And if uh-huh. they do leave Durban, if they do leave Durban, they'll come back. Uh, because it's just such a beautiful place to live and the human beings are incredible. You know, I've traveled to many places around the world that I still don't feel the heart and energy like Durbanite. Um, and if, um, if you ever have an opportunity, I encourage you to spend it with your, with someone that you do, you love. And it gave me sort of grounding 
to who I am today because Durban was a place that many people would always come back to and show us, you know, where they were and what uh -huh. they had achieved. Um, and very fast, you know, very fast forward from, you know, wanting to become a lawyer is I had a, a dream of living in the United States because many, many family members in a community would come back from the United States, you know, with a baseball hat, football hat, mm -hmm. and they always looked a little bit trendy and cool, you know, people that I identified with. And I, you know, that was something I was going to do. I was going to move to the USA, I was going to be this lawyer after helping my community. And I find myself in a role where I'm now surrounded with some of the smartest individuals uh, that I would, you know, I would ever, I would, would ever know. And some of the, some of the most incredibly, you know, talented individuals in the industry that are not only creating some of the solutions and some of the things that we use today in our everyday life, but some of the people that are investing in some of these future technologies. Fantastic. Amazing. Now I know your journey just didn't take you to America. Um, it took you to Australia as well. And we'll touch on that a bit later. Um, again, because, uh, I find it very fascinating that, you know, uh, this guy from South Africa, Durban, ends up in one Australia and then in the US of A, in California. And it's a, it's a brilliant uh, journey to discuss. Um, and the ups and downs and the peaks and the flows that goes with it, as, as we all know. So thank you for that introduction uh, to who you are. Um, let's get into it. And... I have a few questions. You know how the anyone that listens regularly to the podcast, I have a few questions that uh, are absolutely nothing to do with cybersecurity um, until we get to a couple of questions and we touch on it and uh, understand your expertise. But it's about you. The, the podcast and my questions are about you as a human being, um, what makes you, what's dri what drives you, um, and the success and to celebrate where you are now. On that first ever job, yes. Um, what you know, uh, first ever job was multiple, right? You know, as a as a young Durbanite, you know, you're always looking to make an alternate source of income. And I passionately remember working in the early hours of the morning at one of the largest den um, food uh, food retailers, packing shelves, and uh, you know. In, in the true spirit of the narrative of this call, uh, some of the roles you were given were, you know, were, were not the not the ideal ones. So I was mm -hmm. given chance the role to not only unpack frozen chickens from trucks, but I had to then rearrange them on shelves within the store to make sure that the most current date of expiry is at the front and the latest date of expiry of chickens at the back. Um, and, you know, for anyone who's worked in retail, for anyone who's packed shelves, um, you know, they would tell you packing shelves is not easy, but uh, because it takes a lot of, kind of, a lot of patience, but packing frozen chickens has kind of got to be the worst. <laughs> that was my first job that, uh, you know, that I actually earned money. But first, you know, professional role was, and a large global services company in South Africa, 
which is which is now known as Vodafone, but they were in South Africa called Vodacom. And mm-hmm. that was my first role in um, I had to go and meet with ship captains to talk to them about the contract that they were signing. Um, so there was legal connection and educate them on the call tariffs and how expensive it would be if they exceeded the minutes that we had allocated to them. So that was my first professional role, which I thought was incredibly exciting because I'd get to meet all these people, some people who barely spoke a word of English, but would have to understand an English contract. Um, so that was my first professional role. And would that be um, in the, on the legal sense, or um... was it was a combination of both? I mean, we, we didn't we didn't call it legal then, but you know, because we were signing contracts mm-hmm. with these individuals, so it was more commercial role, and um, we were we were we were signing, you know, we were in, in in essence making money off these ships. So you were compensated for the contracts. We were compensated for the overusage of minutes. <laughs> Understood. Back then, wow, I can remember it well. Um, so, what attracted you to the world of IT and cybersecurity? Did you have to get reskilled? Did you were you certified? How did that work? You know, quite an quite an emotional story for me because you know deep down I think I'm I think I'm still passionate about law. I think I'm still passionate about the fact that people don't realize they've done something wrong until they are incarcerated or until, you know, they end up in court because, you know, I tell a story that people end up in, in a world of crime because they got away with something um, and nobody told them it was wrong. And then they do something a little, a little, a little more serious. And not only someone told them it's wrong, but they now are, you know, they have to reap the consequences, you know, behind of their actions, you know, four walls, behind behind four walls, um, you know, and and, and that's that that becomes their life. Um, I um, so emotional in that because I still feel very uh, very passionate about you know educating people about doing the right thing, but passionate because a very near and dear friend of mine knew that I was. You know, I was I was interested in earning a better income, and he said to me, well, "Why don't you come and help me uh, pull Ethernet cable?" Uh, I didn't even know it was called Ethernet cable at the time. Why don't you come and help me pull Ethernet cable at the the, the largest newspaper in Durban on a Saturday morning? And, and I had no idea what he was doing or why we were doing it, but what I knew was, you know, I was getting paid by eating a great uh, what they call euro. Uh, at the time, was uh, was not Subway like they have here yeah, in, <laughs> in the US. It was a euro, and I thought it was great because it was two good friends. You know, it was a family friend, and we were pulling cable. And then, uh, you know, our, my my reward was you know a little bit of rams at the end of the day. But you know, I get to I got to spend time with the guy that I respected, and we'd eat a euro together, or we'd share a euro. So that's what got me into the world of IT because I I got to understand from him sort of the significance around that Ethernet cable. There were two things at the at either end of that cable that needed connectivity. And fast forward, we, we then started doing some work with a local travel agency, which was a large travel agency. And I got to learn about this system called Galileo. Oh. And the system called Galileo was a system that everybody in the world would use to 
buy tickets on planes or buy tickets on any kind of transportation. So I thought it was pretty cool, the whole world. And then I ended up in in office of a service provider or an internet service provider. And I was lucky because I happened to be at that office on the day where there was a wonderful woman who clearly took a liking to me or took a liking to the fact that I was so engaging in conversation because I was, I was looking to learn and I'm always looking to learn. And she asked me if I, you know, if I'd consider getting into a role at the service provider. And I said, absolutely, because you never say no to an opportunity, mm -hmm. especially in Durban. People will tell you, you know, opportunities don't come by um, that often. And, you know, years later, you know, I would, I would move to Johannesburg and years later I would move to North America and years later I'd be helping my company now not only identify some of the emerging technologies, but invest in the right technologies that will protect society. Sea Vision International is a global event and advisory firm dedicated to convening leading visionaries in an exclusive environment for peer-to-peer -peer collaboration. Our programs highlight critical business challenges and deliver the best available applied sciences aimed to change the world. Your vision is our mission. Let us help you build your company's future today, not tomorrow. Now, you have to excuse me because I, I, I'm guessing I am slightly older than yourself. I know I am. And um, I have a, a picture of um, South Africa, um, which is slightly different. Uh, understanding growing up in a, in a, in a time where, um, where Nelson Mandela was incarcerated and apartheid was coming to an end. Um, and I suppose listening to you speak there, um, opportunity was, was good. Opportunity to rise was good. There wasn't so much as a, um, well, you don't represent me. You're not like me. So I'm not employing you type, um, scenario. I think quite, I think quite the opposite, um, Charles, you know, I, my wife and I had this conversation last night, you know, all my friends, every one of my friends or people that I consider, um, you know, sort of help me form to who I am today mm -hmm. are all still in Durban, um, not just South Africa. Um, so, you know, sort of that 99.5, 99.9, you know, never leave. And, and they don't leave because there is no opportunity. And I can't just make the move to Johannesburg because even though it's six hours away by car, you know, 15 minutes by plane, um, it's a, it's a different economic system completely, you know, and if you, if you grew up in Durban, you know, you, you earn a third of what people in Johannesburg earned. So, you know, you're always on the back foot and you could never, and, you know, if you just do the, if you look at the demographics of South Africa, you understand that, you know, look at the amount of the economic demographics, the amount of business in South, in South Africa, the amount of business in Durban is, you know, there's a stark contrast of what's available in Durban versus what's available in Johannesburg. And, and I'll tell you, um, you know, people know that if you want a corporate career, you have to move to Johannesburg. Understood. And if you want a corporate career in Johannesburg, you know, there's no, you know, housing is, is, is not, is not cheap. So you always have to find someone who's got a spare room. <laughs> and, and I remember very passionately, my wife and I, my wife and I now, 
uh, was then, you know, then my fiance, um, we stayed with my sister for the first six months. And, and it was a difficult task because, you know, you're living in the home of someone else and you having to get up a little earlier so you're not inconveniencing them. And you have to get up a little earlier than inconveniencing them and to get on the road to get to where you were in terms of your corporate career. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, I, and I, I remember quite passionately a song by Nelly Furtado. Um, and that was my wife and I, our song. And so whenever it comes out now, we both smile at each other because that was the hour and a half drive from the East Rand of Johannesburg to Sandton City, you know, the central part of it where, you know, I don't know where the economic hub was. So, so it wasn't that easy, Charles, um, you know, even though you know, I think there was change, um, there was still a quota system. So for every, I would say for every one role there was, there were probably, I'd say 10 people of color trying for the role. And there was, you know, maybe one other person, mm-hmm. um, that was, it was not of color that was applying for the role because, you know, they didn't need to apply for a role. You know, they were, they, they were in a situation where, you know, their parents had businesses or they were going to work in, you know, a parent's friend's business. So yes, yes. it was never that challenge, right? And I remember, I remember some of my friends when we were at university, uh, I, I studied law, so I fell to some of the law firms and I'd look at it, right? And look around the room and it was the only person. But Charles is no different to today. You know, I still say that. I walk into a room today and, you know, I'm the only person of color. And I, and I often, I often joke, you know, I often joke with people. I say, you've got to change the website. You know, you've got to change the website. You, you go to any corporate website today and you look at, look at the color and you're like, what is going on? And we're supposed to be in a world that's more progressive where, you know, the USA has had, you know, the first black president and still nothing has really changed. No. Well, that brings me on to uh, my next question. And, um, yeah, see, I'm going to mix around a bit because I don't need to ask a load of them. But now, yeah. as a leader in in your workplace, uh, have you seen that shifting culture of promoting people of color like yourself? And of course, now you're at the top table. Are you influential in setting that diversity goals? I and I asked the question, and what do you think about it twice? Because um, you spent how many years in Australia? Um, I spent eight years in Australia. Eight years in Australia. Um, did you see a change in diversity where you were in Australia and have you seen change, um, now that you're in the U S so, so I think I, 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 you know, the one thing I, I live by is telling the truth, right. And I think there's absolutely a lot of hint for, for people to be more inclusive, but I think there's still such a deep-rooted unconscious bias and form narratives that are, that kind of pull at that desire to be more inclusive because we make the assumption, mm-hmm. right? You know, make the assumption that, you know, a woman is married to a man, right? I remember a conversation and we were talking about a, a niece of ours and the person said to us, Oh, what does her husband do? And we're like, we have to pause, right? And we're like, no, she's actually married to a woman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but beautiful young woman, right? Beautiful young woman, absolutely not. You know, her life's choices, um, you know, 
have absolutely no relevance on who she is as a human being. Exactly. But the world still stereotypes what she should be doing, right? Or who she should be loving or who she should be married to. So I'd say there's absolutely a desire. If I look at, if I look at Australia as a country, you know, they absolutely um, have a a deep intent to be inclusive through a number of programs, um, both in the workplace, outside of the workplace. Um, You know, I think every, everybody's kind of, everybody has a voice. Uh, you know, every city is is looked like an inclusive city. You know, you don't have areas of segregation, um, so it looks inclusive. But I think there's still, you know, elements. If you go into rural mm. Australia, mm. I think you'll still see, you know, a lot of stereotypes that are, you know, imposed upon people. Now, absolutely, because uh, again, we had the conversation. I only spent ten days in Australia, and I was in Perth, Western Australia. <laughs> And I had an amazing time. Um, you know, everybody was very friendly, saying good day, hello, whatever it is, um, whether I be in the by the beach or in town. Uh, I remember it was Australia Day in January, and um, you know, I, I said to you because no one batted an eyelid, no one even gave me a side eye um, about who's this black Englishman, you know, walking down you know, in my pub or whatever it may be. Uh, and you're a little bit surprised at that because I know you had a slightly different reaction, but. Again, you were in a, a different city um, in Australia, and you know I, I, I I'm talking now, and I'm still smiling about my yeah. journey. And you said something funny because you said, "Well, they knew that you were leaving, <laughs> so you're only there for a short time." <laughs> I went, "Maybe so, maybe so." But um, yes. you know, I, I still find Australia fascinating, and um, uh, I don't want to get political, so I won't do. But you know, if things don't change around in the UK soon. It's a great place to go, I think, Australia. Yeah, um, yeah. But we we digress, and I, I understand. And now you're in the US. Now that, you, again, you've got this incredible career, um, you have more titles than Pete Sampras or um, whoever. I'm just trying to think of an American tennis player now. But you know what I mean. Yeah. And, or Rafa Nadal or, or, or those guys. And is there a, a push... For, for promoting and diversity and, you know, even people with neurodiversity. Uh, is, is there a push for that or is it still? Absolutely. No, abs- absolutely. Um, there, there's definitely a push, but I'll, I'll tell you a story because, you know, I, I very recently um, had, the, had the privilege, had the pleasure of, of being at an at a event um, a security event, which was an event to identify founders, mm. you know, and where, so, I mean, just listen to the words I'm using, an event to identify founders. We call it Silicon Valley, call it um, the investment community, showed up and they would be, they're looking to speak to people, uh, network with people that had great ideas. I just think to myself, there was no bias there. I could, there was no, there was no, you know, you had to be of a certain color um, because it was a, it was an event and was at an, in a location that was, you know, for me, um, I smiled because it was, um, it was not even you know, typical, you know, stereotype event, you know, at the water uh, where everyone's kind of nicely dressed. It was, you know, in the, in, in the heart of Southern California. 
and, and there was no bias. So I think there's absolutely an intent. I think if you look at Silicon Valley today, and if you look at the, the largest companies, and if you look at the profiles of the leaders of those, of some of those technology companies, there's, you know, there's definitely a change. Um, there's definitely a, you know, a strong illustration that you don't have to be of a certain profile mm -hmm. to be a leader of a large technology firm. Um, you know, if you just look, at, if you just look at some of the bigger companies, whether it's Microsoft or Palo Alto or or VMware, you know, you, you, again, you don't you don't have to be of a certain profile, right? Mm -hmm. I think we still got a while to go in terms of you know inclusion for women. I think that's a big area of focus, especially in my business today, and because you know, I, I tell you, I work with some of the most incredible women, and I. And I'm married to one of the most incredible women, you know, they can do so much more. You know, they, it's just, it's in their DNA, it's in their makeup, right? They literally can spin plates on, you know, on their four appendages. Um, we ask us to do it on two and we kind of get conscious. Like, they Absolutely. just have, they have, they have a natural tendency. So I think we need to, I think we need to be a little bit more accommodating um, with women. Uh, but I would say to you, you know, you answer your question, yes, inclusive yes you know the, the, there's no bias because at this event there was an illustration but i think there's still room to to be done work okay. to be done understood and there's an old saying that um i think you you know we all know is uh i need to speak to the boss or before i do that i need to speak to the boss and yes. the boss is yes. the wife <laughs> yeah. uh, just yeah. so I, I ask my wife if i can be the boss <laughs> So, um, moving on, as we're both in, well, you're in cybersecurity and um, you've had this amazing career, as I said, I, I want to touch on some of the challenges that, you know, sometimes keep you awake at night and what you've heard over the years, um, you know, as the world recovers from COVID, I know in the US it was a bit crazy. <laughs> I was in California um, 2019 um, in January 2020, I think, January 2020. Um, and it was all kicking off, uh, especially in California. Uh, and I remember flying back and, you know, the, the, the whole COVID thing was, you know, rife in, in the US for, uh, one reason or another, again, not getting political. Um, but if you want to drink bleach or inject yourself with it, that's a, that's a, that's a good blooming start. Um, but the challenges since then. Um, I'm just trying to see how different it is from what's happened in the UK and speaking to some of your counterparts here where, you know, people decided, oh, I'm working from home and, um, working from yeah. home is the new norm. We're more productive. Yeah. Um, we don't collaborate as much. And, and so now, uh, especially in 2023, people are starting to creep back into the office a few days a week. Um, not on a Friday by the looks of it, because I was on a train this morning and there was no one, no one around. Um, it was kind of empty, but, um, is that the same over there? You know, I'd say, I'd say yes. You know, I will tell you, Charles, I left South Africa in 2007 and, and the big, and a, a big life lesson for me was remote working. 2007, I, I worked for a Panera bread most days 
because I, I needed to be close to people. Because when you go grow up in corporate South Africa, you know, you walk, you go into a big office and a, or an office park, where you're always in meetings, in offices with lots of people around. So I had to go to a Panera Bread, um, which was close to my home, uh, because I just needed to be around people. Uh, you know, I thrive, I thrive on other people's energy. Um, that's just, it's just who I am. But I'd say from 2007 to 2023, you know, if you ask me, is there a big difference? I'd say, absolutely. I think conferencing is, is now sort of more prevalent, you know, there's, you know, that's, it's one of the mediums. I think we are always on in terms of communication channels. So whether it's a Slack channel or whether it's a Teams channel or whether it's a LinkedIn communication platform, people don't you know, talk about that, but I think we do more communication on LinkedIn than what we do on any other platform, you know, be it, be it kind of social media posting about, you know, something interesting in our career or communicating with someone about a meeting, now you can even schedule live meetings, you attend training. So I think it's an incredible platform, but I, but I'll, I will tell I will say that the biggest challenge that we have is in the industry called cyber is everyone wants to be their own boss. If I, if I kind of go midway to my career, where I was in Australia, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of companies, but just because again, of the economic environment and the demographics of skilled labor in Australia, there was always a narrative of importing talent. It was always a narrative of outcasting key functions, you know, kind of that language, you know, you, you learn, that will teach you the language about outcasting, right? Outcasting and not outsourcing, but the specific function, you want to give it to these people because they can be more efficient with it. But I knew in Australia, there was a big demographic of people who wanted to be contract labor, mm-hmm. because if you were contract labor, you could earn, you know, twice your daily rate. So you could double your salary. And, and, in, and if we kind of doing the math, generally we'd say if we doubling our, our daily rate and doubling our monthly income, we shouldn't be working half the time, right? Logic. Um, some, some people would, would then take three or six months off, right? And it's very much a culture of, I'm going to go and travel and see Australia. Um, but if we, if we look at the demographics in North America, I think that's been a, you know, we had a big push of outsourcing offshoring, and now there's a big pull back into the, into the USA because one, you know, it's all, it's, it's about conversation to, you know, dialects, three, it's about having local resources, but I would say skill. Uh, is critical in cybersecurity. And, and you, we want more of that skill to be in person. We want more of that skill to be local. We want more of that skill to be, you know, close to us so we can engage. Understood. Now, I know time's uh, upon us, and I know you've got another meeting at the top of the hour. So I've got a couple more questions for you, and then I'm going to let you go. Um, yes. So Warren Small, 20 years old. Um, what advice would you give to a young Warren Small, uh, that wants to get into the business of cybersecurity, um, have a career, and have the success you've had. Well, there was no YouTube then, right? So, um, <laughs> so it'd be it'd be a little bit hard. But I, I would say read, read, and read, um, and be and be more be more open to to what's what what conversations are being held around you, right? Uh, don't be so. Don't be so laser focused. Don't be so rigid in your, in your pursuit of greatness or your pursuit of, you know, growth. 
just but be 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 more open you know be more be more mindful of what's being said around you because everything you know you know was everything around cyber was critical then and everything around cyber is critical now but there were just less people then uh, versus the amount of people there are now we still don't have that many right we talk about 3.5 million roles you know i just saw at google uh, google now have a cyber security certificate which you can go do for free right because mm-hmm. they talk about so many roles um but then there's also this big push for ai skills right so it's a you know am i going to be a defender uh or am i going to, am i going to be an attacker right um so i would say to you know i would i would say be be more open uh, be be more mindful and and listen and collaborate more thank you and that that's enough of the serious stuff <laughs> um two more questions now I, I don't know if i text you this question or emailed you this question but um i want you to think about your unique selling point but before you do how does warren relax how does he chill out you like i said you've got an amazing career you've got an amazing job um you talk about your wife and and every time you speak about your wife you're smiling um and so i'm just trying to understand what you got what you what do you do for fun how do you relax yeah so so I run. I'm a I'm a big runner. My wife's a runner as well. Uh, I'm training uh, for everybody uh, listening. I'm training for the Comrades Marathon, uh, which is a rite of passage. Um, so my 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 hobby is running, and I try now and run ten kilometers a day. Wow! Uh, which is not easy. Which is not easy, Charles, um, because you get you, know, you get a little bit exhausted. Um, but but I also I'm big into family. So I try and do as much as possible with the family whether it's watching a movie or whether it's playing a game of tennis um, or whether it's going to a nice restaurant that we, you know, we'll all enjoy. It's about family. Um, that's where I get a lot of my energy is from my wife and my two boys. Fantastic. Good answer. And final question, um, Warren, what do you think your unique selling point is? What is it about you, your USP? You know, I, I have to say that I don't have a preconceived idea of anything or anyone. And I'm always open to learning about anything and anyone. Um, and that's why I have friends, you know, in all countries. Um, you know, I'm off to India um, on Sunday and, and I must have connected with at least a dozen people to say that I'm going to be in India. And would love to connect, right? And, think, and then I had, and I had to pause and say, shucks, haven't seen some of these people in years, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like we still communicate, like we were talking yesterday. yesterday yep. So, so I, th- so I think that's my unique differentiator. And I think they, if you ask anyone um, who knows me, I think they'd say the same person, right? Um, respectful, um, supportive, caring and passionate human being fantastic warren small global leader entrepreneur innovator board advisor board observer investor and a cybersecurity visionary thank you for the time on coming on to cyberglass ceiling it's been fun thank you charles what an incredible honor and i wish you everything of the best uh, this is the start of great things for us uh, i'm optimistic And I look forward to our next conversation where we celebrate some of our successes. 
This episode was brought to you by Salt Cybersecurity, part of Salt Group, who specialise in providing trust across digital channels by helping major financial institutions verify the identity of their users and authenticating high-value transactions in the UK and globally.